Alright, well welcome to church. Glad you are here today. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors on uh, staff here. If uh, you're new around here, man, so glad you're here. You're watching online. So grateful. We'd love to get to say hello right afterwards, whether in the foyer or if you're online in the chat. Uh, but man, it's a joy to, to gather and to worship and to celebrate week in and out with you. If you have a copy of the scriptures, join me in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians is one of the letters in the New Testament. Um, if you have the Fresh Start Bible, you can turn to page 1046. Um, you got a digital version, just click there, get there, join me. We're going to be studying the scriptures together today. And we want to look at the Word of God, believing that the Word of God is true, that informs our lives, transforms our lives, and helps us move in the direction of God. We've been studying together, kind of throughout Scripture, this word radiant. We've really just been asking the question, what does it mean to be the radiant people of God? How do we become radiant instead of radioactive? How do we become people full of joy, full of life, full of the hope of God? How, how do we live out this new identity as the family of God? And what does that look like? And what do the Scriptures teach us? And so that's kind of what we've been doing um, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 10 today. And uh, we're going to look at a, a bunch of scripture. I hope you brought something, maybe take some notes with, highlight, circle. We're going to go to a few different spots today and learn some things that God wants us to see, I believe. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, says this, A final word. Now why does Paul, who's writing to the church in Ephesus, say a final word? Because we're at the end of his letter. He's summarizing some things that he's already introduced to them, but he's kind of wrapping up and helping them understand some of the most important truths that he's already said to them. So he says, finally, a final word, pay attention, here it comes. Don't forget this one thing, be strong in the Lord. Somebody say strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Be strong in the Lord so that you can stand strong, stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. So, so that you can walk in this out. Now, as the radiant people of God, it is important that we are aware of the devil and his schemes. This is what Paul is saying. Hey, hey, catch this, catch this, catch this. I want you to be strong in the Lord and the Lord's mighty power. But you need to be aware that there is an enemy of your soul. And he has some schemes, some tricks, some ways at which he's going to come at you, combat you to keep you from standing strong. Now, at the beginning of this, uh, at, actually at the end of last year, I took some time, and as you know, each year I kind of just asked the Lord, Lord, what is it that you're doing in our church this next year? What is kind of our word, our theme? What do you want us to, to move in and really grab a hold of? I've been, it's kind of a practice that I have. And this year, as you know, those of you that are part of our church, our word for the year is radiant. We really want to become the radiant people of God. And as I was just seeking the Lord and studying Scripture, often I heard again and again the phrase last year, be strong in the Lord. Teach them to be strong in the Lord. Lord, what do, you, what do you want us to learn? Be strong in the Lord. That there is a strength in the Lord that we need. If we are going to become the radiant people of God, there are some things that we're going to need to be able to stand against. Uh, in basketball... Uh, there's something called a full court press uh, where the other team is pressing against you, keeping you from advancing and scoring. It's an all out. And if you're not aware of those plays and how they're trying to trap you on the sideline, how they're trying to steal away uh, the, the, that's what's, that which is in your possession, if, if you are not aware of the play that they are running, they will trap you, stop you, and keep you from advancing down the court. All of you sports fans understand this. All of you who are not sports fans are like, can we use another analogy, please? Yes, here's another analogy. You 
are in a battle and the enemy doesn't want you to survive. Jesus said it this way, the enemy of your soul comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. That's what he's after. That's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to undercut your progress. He's wanting to keep you from advancing. And he has some schemes and ways at which he does all of these things. Now, next week, we're going to, as we keep walking through Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about the unseen. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about the reality of earth and heaven, or that which is beyond earth. I'm going to talk to you about what the Bible teaches about angels, demons, other beings. Uh, We're we're going to talk about what is visible in your eye and what is invisible to your eye. We're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about these things because Paul is writing and he's saying, hey, be aware. There's more going on than what you can see or know. In other words... For those of us who were born into this world, that's you, in case you weren't sure. You were born into a cosmic battle. And we need to be aware of what that looks like. And the first thing we need to know is that there is an enemy, there is an adversary, there is someone coming against you, and he has a scheme, he has a play. Now, what you need to know about the enemy's playbook is it has one play. That's it. And he keeps running the same play because it works. It works. Until you know what he's doing and you can counter what he's attacking with. Till you know the play, you know what he's going to do, where he's going to be, how he's going to come. When you have an awareness, now you can walk in wisdom to overcome and get beyond his advances. Who is the adversary? Well, uh, he is someone who is coming to slander God's character and cause us to not obey God's command. This is the enemy. He's the adversary. Go to, if you're in Ephesians 6, if you're in the printed Bible, just flip like two pages to the left and go to Ephesians chapter 2. If you're on a digital, just kind of hit the previous chapter button in your version Bible app, and you'll get to Ephesians chapter 2. And let's look at some of these uh, that, remember, we're at the end of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, so let's go to the beginning and see what Paul is trying to introduce and say to us. Starting in verse 1, this is what he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Okay, who is that? Well, he goes on to say, he is the spirit, a disembodied spirit, at work, in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us. Everybody take a deep breath. Breathe out. You're a part of all of us. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, By our very nature, we're subject to God's anger just like everyone else. We are all born, not only into a cosmic battle, but into an inward disposition to rebel against God. It's called sin. And the enemy, the devil, the commander of the unseen realm, the devil. Now, what I want you to understand about the word devil in the Greek, it is the word diablos. And it simply means this, slanderer. One who slanders another. One who speaks against another. One who says things 
whispers things and seeds ideas to create reasonable doubt about the truth. The devil is not his name. It is a title and a function. Similar to how you would refer to as the doctor or the lawyer. There might be a specific one, but you're speaking in general terms about a function, a role, or an office. Are we, are we tracking? And a lawyer, there are certain kinds of lawyers. One would be a prosecuting lawyer who stands in the court of law casting doubt and dispersions and leveling accusations against a defendant. This is the picture of what the enemy of your soul is doing. What Satan, the devil, the malevolent disembodied spirits that are antagonistic to God, creating um, adversaries of God, trying to convince you that who God is isn't true, that what his character is cannot be trusted, and you are better off on your own trying to convince you that you're good enough on your own, that you're a good person. And if you're a good person, good people get good things. And if you're not getting good things, then you must not be a good person or God's not a good person. Therefore, you shouldn't trust him or like him. He is seeding ideas from the very beginning. Satan, the enemy, the devil, the demons of of all, they want to cast dispersions on God's character and your salvation. He wants to assault your identity. He wants to hurl slanderous things towards you and about you. He wants to help you realize that you are alone, you are isolated, you are defeated, and there is nothing good to come in your life, that your future is hopeless, and he whispers fear and doubts and insecurities, and he's coming to bring slander to the name of God. And the Apostle Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter 6 saying, I want you to be aware of the commander of all of the unseen, the slanderer who is coming against you. And I want you to be strong in the Lord and stand up against his schemes. And then he says, so I want you to put on the whole armor of God. Now, we're going to unpack this uh, in a few weeks, and we're going to walk through each of the things listed from verse 10 all the way through verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to talk about each piece of the armor. What I want you to know today about the armor of God is each one is used, uh, Paul is using pieces of an armor of a Roman soldier that would have been visible and known and very seen in their life. Not to speak about something specific like you literally have a helmet and you literally need to go to like the Christian bookstore and buy the right sword and you literally need to go buy like a belt and there's only one place you can buy the right belt. It's not like literal pieces of wardrobe that you put on. But he's using these elements of a Roman soldier's armor to communicate to you the identity you have in Jesus Christ. Who you are in Christ. Because what the enemy wants to do, the slanderer wants to do, is convince you of who you aren't. And get you to believe that so that you never become the radiant people of God. You remain radioactive while claiming to be radiant. This is what he's after. He's after your identity. I want you to understand one of the greatest and deepest questions in the human experience that we, every human being, wrestles on some level is trying to define who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What's my identity? Who am I? Who was I created to be? What's really going on inside of me? And the world is there to give you many guides to help you discover who you are. Self-discovery. But we're not meant to journey to discover ourselves. We're meant to journey to discover the Savior who has given us his identity. And we're going to learn about that identity through this guide of the armor that we can put on and become the radiant people of God in our identity and our function of life. 
we want to answer the question, who are you in Christ? This is what we do at communion every day. We take communion. We read it. What are we doing? We are reading and reclaiming the identity of who Christ has made us as adopted family members of God. We're reminding ourselves of this identity. And the enemy of your soul who is existing, he's trying to be slanderous against you and against the character of God. So what's his scheme? If that's who he is, what's he trying to do? Here's his scheme. To borrow language from John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, who I think brilliantly summarized this in such a beautiful way, he says it this way. The schemes of the devil are this. To tell you lies that placate and align with the distorted desires born in you that are normalized in a society around you that is sinful. Lies that, that align with, play to, and awaken the disordered desires that are born within you. And when you look around in the society that is sinful, you see, oh, everyone else is acting that way, talking that way, responding that way. This must be how I should live. And that cycle and scheme perpetuate again and again and again. It starts with lies. In, in his book, author John Mark Comer says it like this. We all live by what so psychologists call mental maps of reality. Reference points in our minds by which we navigate our world. Neurobiologists talk about how the human mind is wired for story. Sociologists talk about our worldview. They're all describing the same thing. He goes on to say, if our mental maps are true, if they correspond to reality, let's say, then it's like putting the right coordinates into a GPS. You get in your car, you step onto the bus, and X minutes later, you arrive at your destination. It's reality. But if your mental maps are untrue or not true, if they don't correspond with the reality, we end up lost in a dystopian wasteland of bad cell coverage and glitchy Google Maps. A terrifying experience for all of us, for sure. He goes on to say, Dallas Willard defined ideas as, quote-unquote, assumptions about reality. They are working theories, usually based on some kind of evidence or experience about how life actually works. The wonder of the human person is our ability to hold in our minds ideas that correspond to reality and simultaneously hold ideas that don't correspond with reality. Thoughts that are inspired in your mind. Your mind, your thoughts, can be an incubator to cultivate your faith, or your thoughts can create illusions that incubate not only fear, but incubate an unfaithful way of Jesus, an unreality. It can, it can create an illusion that you're living in one direction, fully convinced of something, and that something is called rebellion. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 2, that your mind has become darkened, that, that, that the enemy has created this illusion and a whisper that has led to darkened rebellion against God. This is what he's after. He's been after it from the very beginning. Your thoughts are the space of inspiration. Friends, this is why. This is why we want to read God's word. Because when you read God's word and hear God's word, don't miss this, you have thoughts that are inspired. That come, it creates thoughts in your mind. Those thoughts in your mind eventually become patterns of living that you embody and live out. Can I, can I say it another way? When we talk about hearing the voice of God, hearing the whisper of God, the primary way in which God wants to communicate to you, don't miss this, is inspired thought. It's inspired thought. 
the primary way that Satan, the enemy, the devil, those malevolent forces that are trying to create slanderous things to keep you in rebellion, you know what? You know the number one way in which they're trying to influence you? Thoughts. The battle really is between your ears. Trying to convince you of of a reality. Your mind and your thoughts and what you're thinking, are they linked and anchored to the truths of God's word or are they linked and anchored to some website where you found something? To someone's voice who said something about who you are in your life and your identity? What is it that is being shaped that you are anchoring your soul, your life, giving your identity, your time, your attention, your affections to. Because the enemy is using the very vehicle to which God created that you would know him and experience him, the enemy uses that very same thing to come against you. Look at how... Paul references this in Ephesians chapter 4. If you're in Ephesians 6, just flip one page over, Ephesians 4. Look at what he says in verse 18 and verse 19. He says, their minds, whose minds? Those who do not follow God, those who are not in covenant with God, those who have not received the life of Christ, those who have not been given the Spirit of God living in them, their minds are full of darkness For they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame because they live for lustful pleasure, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. They bought into something and it's darkened their minds. It's darkened their hearts. It's darkened who they are. Now, please, please hear me. I do not believe that the experience with God is only limited to an intellectual exercise. God has created you as a spirit. You live in a body and you possess mind, will, and emotions that I believe are referred to as your soul. It is a whole entire encounter and experience what it means to be the people of God that are radiant, body, soul, and spirit. It's not just an intellectual exercise. There's something more at play. But this idea of inspired thought that is true or lie, reality or a non-reality, is so crucial for the people of God to understand that this is the enemy schemes. He lies that plays to disordered desires that are already seated within the human condition that are then normalized in a society that is embodying that sin in a way that makes you think, well, this is just the way we live. This must be reality. In fact, Jesus was having a conversation with some people, and uh, go to John chapter 8 with me. John chapter 8, if you've got a paper Bible, turn hard to the left several pages. John chapter 8, it's one of the last gospels uh, there in the beginning of the New Testament. John chapter 8. If you have the Fresh Start Bible, just go to page 928. If you have a digital phone, you can get there pretty quick. Jesus is having a conversation about what is truth and how truth can set you free. But Jesus has said something really, really important. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Just the fact that there is truth doesn't set you free, friends doesn't help you overcome the enemy. It's the truth that you know, that you understand, that you have an intimate understanding, a full embodied working knowledge of the truth. In other words, showing up to Sunday, hearing one message in your week is not sufficient for you to know the truth. You're hearing lots of truth, but for you to really integrate and know and embody the truth, you have to not only read it yourself, you have to begin to live it out yourself. This is why we talk about reading scripture and getting in the word of God because we don't want you to live in a world darkened by lies that play to your disordered desires that lead to a sinful life that darken your very soul and lead you in a life of rebellion that you think is righteous, but it's really unrighteousness. 
Jesus is trying to articulate this very same thing. And this is what he says about the enemy and his schemes. For you are children of your father, the devil, verse 44. And you love to do the evil things that he does. That's normalized in a sinful society. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and, I love this phrase, the father of lies. In other words, everything that God created, truth, life, Satan counterfeits and creates something of an alternative to get you to believe it to be true. A facade, a mirage, something that you think to be true, but it is not true. But he's very, very convincing that it's true, and so you buy into it and you live that out. This is what happened, the inspired thought that created an illusion instead of illumination. This is what he did in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. We go back to the very story of the people of God, the very beginning. Here was Eve, and she knew what God had said. She heard the word of God, and she knew God. They had a relationship. God was around them, and the beings were all there, and here they were in the garden. And it came not with a weapon. He came not with a pitchfork and a red cape. Not as someone evil and malevolent that was, like, foaming at the mouth and being all crazy and weird. No, 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 no. He came with an idea, another map to mentally log, another data entry point for you to just consider. Did God really say not to eat the fruit? I mean, doesn't God, is, isn't God holding out on you? Slandering the character of God. God. I mean, after all, if God's a good God, why is he letting so much evil happen to you? Why have you gone through so much brokenness if God's good? I mean, surely, surely there's, you've done something wrong. You're without repair, or maybe he's just not that good. Maybe there's a, a better way to enlightenment. There's a new way that everything has been hidden from you. you. You need to know what the truth is. Let's expose it. Let's explore it. Let's get to it. Constantly bringing into our ears he came with an illusion. He came with a lie. He came with a whisper, with an idea. Because he is a liar. And he wants to lie in a way that plays to the distorted desires within you and are normalized in a sinful society. M. Scott Peck, in his groundbreaking book, People of the Lie, called the devil, quote-unquote, a real spirit of unreality. In his second and even more interesting conclusion, M. Scott Peck, came to the conclusion and expresses that this was the way or this is the way in which people become evil, which is through lies. John Mark Comer, again, expounds on this idea in his book, Live No Lies. He says it like this. For example, so suppose you believe the lie that you are unlovable. That you're unlovable. Wherever you picked it up, in your life journey, maybe it was a broken relationship with your parents, a breakup that you experienced, maybe a failure on your part, a demonic deposit into your mind, or anywhere else along the way. Then if you let that lie into your body, into your neurobiology, you let that lie give shape to your behavior. Because you don't believe you are worthy of love, you let people treat you in ways that are disrespectful or even demeaning. Or you act in ways that are disrespectful or demeaning. If you live into this lie long enough, tragically, what was false starts to become true. You eventually become the kind of person that is not worthy of love and respect. And you alienate yourself from the very relationships that you crave. He ends this section by saying, ideally, though, you need to know, like all wounds to your soul, this can be healed, too. Through loving relationships and truth. Through loving relationships with God, whom Jesus called Father and his family and the church. Through the truth of your identity as daughter or son. All of these wounds, these lies that we hold to, things that we've bought into is true that have convinced us, the longer we hold on to them, 
the more of a stronghold they create in our lives. The more we begin to live out this script, this story of unreality that has been handed to us again and again and again. Because this is what happens. There's an event that happens in your life, good, bad, or indifferent. And the enemy is there, the adversary, to whisper and seed a thought into your mind and heart. And it sits in there. It is contrary to the truth of who God is, his character, his word, and who he created you to be in his identity in Christ. But he seeded it in there long enough. And then another event happens similar to it. And that idea that has already been seeded in your mind shows back up. And you'd be like, oh, see? Confirmation bias. No one can be trusted. This is what happens when you try to forgive. They respond in a bitter way, and you can't really forgive people, so therefore never forgive because people aren't worth it unless they beg for your forgiveness. And we see how it goes on and on and on in our lives. This is how the enemy creates a stronghold in our lives and gets us to believe an illusion of unreality rather than anchoring to the truth of the reality of God. And that's why we find ourselves in cycles of broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship. This is why you find yourself in a cycle where you feel close to God only to fall away from God, only to come back to God, only to fall away from God. This is why we find ourselves in cycles where addictions cannot be broken in our lives, but we keep dealing with the same old thing again and again and again. And each time we repent with true sincerity and belief and knowing God's forgiving us, but we don't have the power to change, we're still living radioactive lives, but trying to pretend to be radiant. We keep jumping out of the vinegar as a cucumber before we become a pickle. And we've got just enough pickliness to call ourselves a pickle, but we're still just a cucumber. Because we have not really taken on, don't miss this, the identity of Christ. So we're trying to stand strong, but we fall down because of the schemes and the advances of the enemy. We're trying to inbounds the ball, but we keep getting trapped on the sidelines and turning it over again. This is where we find ourselves. These are the little lies that show up in moments of our pain that shape an identity around us. It's the grown man who was berated by his father as a child and comes to believe I am only as good as I am successful in my work. It's the teenage girl who, comparing herself to the mirage of Instagram, comes to believe I am ugly and unworthy of love. It's the pastor who was a high-energy child, regularly scolded by her parents, who now believes, I am a bad person and need to make up for lost time. It's the entrepreneur whose prior business failed after the betrayal of their partner, who now believes, everything I do surely will fail, so trust no one. It's the middle-aged woman who was raised by an angry perfectionist mother and decades later still believes, I have to be perfect in order to be at peace. Lies that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society that create a false identity that is contrary to who God has made you to be. So Paul is writing and he's saying, You have to be aware of the schemes and the strategies of the enemy because they're real, they're powerful, and he's coming for you. The Apostle Apostle Peter would write something similar. In 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 8, if you've got your Bibles, flip to 1 Peter 5. If you've got your Fresh Start Bible, it's page 1,102. If you're digital, just click over there as quick as you can, 1 Peter 5. He starts out in verse 8 by saying this. Stay alert. Whoop, 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 whoop. Uh, 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 uh. Pull the fire alarm in your soul. Wake up. Wipe the sleep from your eyes. Stay alert, he says. Why? For your great enemy The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm 
against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Peter's writing and he's talking about suffering and advancements and, and, and things that are hardships in their life that are causing them to want to bail on their faithfulness to Jesus. In other words, the crap has hit the fan and they don't want to stay in on this thing called following Jesus because it's hard. It's not always easy. And he's reminding him, hey, 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 you have an enemy. Remember, he's like a roaring lion. I've used this illustration before. He's nothing but a small little kitty cat with a megaphone. <laughs> Sounding like he can roar, but it's really just meow. Pastor, why are you using cats? Because cats are of the devil. That's why. It's just, it's biblical. He's like a lion. It's a feline. I'm just saying it's biblical. Dogs are better. If you love cats, I'm sorry. I love you. You're welcome here, and Jesus can forgive you. <laughs> listen, 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 listen. Be alert. Stand firm. Be aware that the thoughts that are coming at you, the culture that surrounds you, and the things that you have inwardly believed about yourself, they might not be true. The enemy of your soul is trying to steal, kill, and destroy your very life, and he wants to keep you from becoming radiant as the people of God. And Peter's writing, be strong, stand firm, which is exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord. Friends, radiant people aren't just aware of the enemy and his schemes. Here's the big point number two today. Radiant people are strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Don't, don't lose sight of what's going on. Can, can I just tell you, I sat down to start writing this message on Tuesday morning. And this is so, so silly. I got so mad that the program wasn't opening, I literally almost picked up the iPad and threw it across the room. Not quite radiant moment, a little more radioactive if I'm being honest. Everything in me was like, why is it working? Everything is not working. This is not good. I just need to go to bed and get over this. I was having a hissy fit. And all of the whispers were about the insufficiency, inability, all of it. Well, is that just a random happening? As I sit down to write a message to you about the unseen and how the enemy wants to ruin your soul, that just for a second I'm having a moment that is ruining my very peace and soul? Listen, I'm not one of those that every time you get a flat tire, that was a demon who put a nail there to hinder your day. No, you just drove over some stuff. And somebody who was a lazy roofer forgot to pick up all the nails. I don't know what to tell you. I don't think it's a demon under every little thing that happens in your life. You need to be so worried. It's just a little cat with a megaphone. But I am trying to let you know there's more going on than what you see. And the enemy of your soul wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But you, as a person of God, can be strong in the Lord when he's coming to advance you. I've battled sickness this week. There's been ups and downs within our staff and everybody and all the things. This has just not been a smooth week for us and the people that I'm connected to. It's been a crazy morning. It's been a crazy week. It's been all of those things. My point is that I'm sitting there while well, I was on the devil's felt. You know what I'm trying to do? Find a way to encourage my soul and be strong in the Lord in this moment. I don't really care what it is that I'm seeing or not seeing. That's not the point. The point is, be strong in the Lord. Don't give up. Don't get beat down. Be strong in the Lord. Listen, three things about the strength of the Lord. The Lord wants you to be strong in him, not in your own self. It's not your strength. It's the Lord's strength. I don't really feel like I can do it. It's just been a week and a Monday, and I don't know enough of the Bible, and I don't know this, and I don't know that, and what about this, and what about that? It's not your strength. He didn't say be strong in the strength that you have. He said be strong in the Lord. 
the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you, on the inside of me. You don't have to have bursts of your flesh because the Spirit is strong enough in you to keep you walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lusts of your flesh. I didn't throw the iPad. I didn't curse, although I was close. I almost beat my hand on the table, but I didn't. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me, and he gives you agency and self-control in the moment when your emotions are going nuts. I wanted to, I felt all of the things. But it was amazing. I found some strength in the Lord in that moment. That's not to say, oh, pastor's so good. No, no, no. This is a promise for you. The strength of God for the battle. Ephesians 1. And now you Gentiles, those are, that's just people who don't follow Jesus. You outside of the faith have also heard the same truth, he says. The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he has identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. And the Spirit of God guarantees that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that you could praise and glorify him. Listen, listen. The Lord wants to give you strength for the battle. If you feel weak, go to the source of strength. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Can we link those two scriptures together? In the presence of God is where your strength comes. This is why we can stand and sing, your goodness is running after me. This is how I fight my battles. Some of you need to increase your worship this week. Singing praise to God. It helps you grow in gratitude. Helps you grow in thanksgiving. Helps sing a song. Listen, that the lyrics are linked to the truth of God's word. That helps you create a true reality in your mind to believe that God is who he says that he is. That God can do what he said he can do. That he's shaping and making you to be who he's created and made you to be. Strong in the Lord. The Lord wants to give you strength for the battle. Two, the Lord wants to give you authority for the battle. And again, just like the strength isn't your strength, it's his strength, the authority isn't your authority. It's his authority. We all have a delegated authority because of who Christ is. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 1 verse 19, I also pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Incredible greatness of God's power for those of us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He's now far above, like way beyond, like not, it's not even close how much more above he is, how much more powerful he is, how much more mighty he is, how much more authority he has. He's far above any ruler, authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world that you can see, but also in the world that is to come that you cannot see. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. That's you and me. In other words, Christ has given you his authority. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, would write in James chapter 4 and verse 7, resist the devil, the slanderer, the enemy, and he will flee. That's why you can take thought, every thought captive, and make it obedient to the name of Christ. Which means in the moment when you're feeling overwhelmed, the moment when you're feeling isolated, the moment when you like want to throw the iPad across the screen, you can say the name Jesus. When the enemy is raging and telling you to hurt yourself and harm yourself and that you're not loved and the best thing to do is to leave this life, you can say the name Jesus. 
This is why when the enemy comes at you and tempting you with the same old temptation and sin that you've always fallen into, always fallen prey to, you can call on the name of Jesus. And when you resist the enemy, he has to flee. Because he's given you authority. He's given you authority, his authority. And in that moment, we can resist the devil or we can rebel against God and partner with the devil. The choice is still yours. You have some agency in it. I have some agency in it. We can rebel and partner with the enemy or we can resist him and partner with the Spirit of God. The Lord gives you authority for the battle. That's how you can stand strong. And, and three, the Lord gives you assistance for the battle. He's given you assistance. He's giving you help in your battle. Help. You want to know what that help looks like? It looks like the people sitting on your left and on your right. The people sitting in front of you. Whether you know their name or not. The help is the people of God who are in the battle with you. That's why Peter in, in, in 1 Peter 5 when he says, And remember all of the other saints who are in this battle with you. This is why at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, pray always for all kinds of prayers and pray for the saints who are with you, who are in this together. This is why so much of Ephesians chapter, uh, the book of Ephesians is not about you personally, but we collectively. The understood subject in the sentence, be strong in the Lord, is you be strong in the Lord. And that you is not a specific uh, individual, it's you plural. You all, y'all, be strong in the Lord. Why is this good news? Because it's a corporate battle, not one you have to fight by yourself. You're not in this alone. You don't have to be isolated and alone. Some of you are losing because you're losing on your own. And you need to link arm with other believers. You need to make confession to other believers. You need to call and say, hey, can you help me? My faith is weak. I need to borrow yours. Well, it's just me and my personal relationship with Jesus. You were bought to be placed in a family. You are in a body. You are a member of the body and so when he says stand firm you all stand firm pray with one another encourage one another strengthen one another speak blessing over one another sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs Ephesians 4, 2 and over one another don't forsake the gathering of the saints as some of you are in the habit of doing the writer of Hebrews would say but rather gather together why? so that you're not alone in the battle. The more you isolate your life, the harder it is to pick apart the difference between what is a reality imagination and illusion of unreality in your imagination. Every once in a while, you need to tell somebody, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling. They're like, yeah, that's a lie from the devil. You don't need to believe that. Yeah, that's not true. You don't need to hold on to that. You can get rid of that one. Oh, you're not alone? Let's pray together. Let's encourage one another. Let's gather together. Oh, this is how we stand firm and fight our battles. In the strength of the Lord, in the authority of the Lord, and with the people of the Lord. Amen? Let's stand together. Would you take a minute and just close your eyes for a second and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you, what are you saying to me today? What are you teaching and showing us? Maybe you know you've been facing some, some things. There, there's been some onslaught of the enemy. You've been, you've been buying into some things you know aren't true but you can't seem to shake them some of you know you, you just need to go to the prayer team at the end and, and just ask for prayer some of you know that it's time to lift up a song because you've been trying to live your life but you feel weak and you need strength this week some of you have been feeling like a victim 
And you need to realize this week that you are more than a conqueror and Christ has given you authority to say no to the enemy and to resist him. Lord, would you continue to do a work in our hearts and our lives? That we want to become your radiant people. Open our eyes to begin to see the way the enemy has whispered lies. Lord, would you expose those in our life? And Lord, would you help us to, to, to hold firm and to know fully, God, that our strength is from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The name above all names that has ultimate authority is the name of Jesus. So Lord, would you help us to speak Jesus and sing about Jesus and think about Jesus and get to know Jesus through your word. Lord, would you help us to gather with your people to stand strong in the faith together, being encouraged week in and week out to walk in your ways and not our own. Amen. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.